So as I mentioned, tis the season for annual show watching. There's more than a few that come on this time of year or that we decide to find on Apple TV or our Roku's or whatever streaming device we have. Now, we won't watch them any other time, right? You're almost weird if you watch some of these, like, in July. It's like, what are you doing? But this season seems incomplete without some certain greatest hits. Christmas is not complete, dear friends, without Linus telling the Christmas story one last time. Also watching Snoopy get repulsed at kissing. Um, what's her face? Goodness gracious. Lucy. Lucy. I like to live and die by peanuts. What? I'm here for you. Thank you. <laughs> This year, we will have another year of saving the neck of the turkey. Am I right? Making sure those Christmas lights are up really good. Convincing ourselves once again for like 50 times on Christmas Eve that we're going to shoot our eye out. Or, spoiler alert... Watching the wet bandits once again be foiled by an eight-year-old. Yes! Yeah, no year is complete, as far as I'm concerned, without watching Home Alone, at least one more time. A movie that I am convinced tests more than a lot everyone's ability to suspend disbelief. Like, seriously. An apparently mega-rich family, which we don't know from what... Right? Have this mansion of a house surrounded by all these very modest, right, working class homes in Chicago, decide to just gallivant off to a trip to Paris, something about work, which, whatever. And in the craziness of being late, somehow forget their youngest one, Kevin, at home. Now, I know, like, I'm telling you home alone, like, you're like, But there might be one of you, and I apologize if I've ruined the whole entire movie for you at this point, but this one's not on me, okay? Um, But, you know, steadily getting adjusted, Kevin not only manages himself, right? He learns to use brute aftershave. Ah, nostalgia. But he fends off two bumbling thieves with a bunch of varying traps, and then this is the real kicker for me now at 40, somehow is able to clean up the entire house impeccably before his mom returns, and his mom had made a yeoman's effort to return quickly, including spending some quality time with John Candy, which to be honest with you, I would be happy to spend a little bit of time with John Candy in a budget van anytime. Right now, but wouldn't you take away all the ridiculous of of this movie, which is part of the reason why we watch it every year. At the core of this movie, it's all about a series of changes of heart. If you remember at the beginning, during all of the bullying that Kevin has, and he's sent up to the attic, he says very loud, I wish I never had to see my family again. And of course, his mom says, oh, you you don't really mean that, do you? And Kevin doubles down. Yeah, I wish I never had to see my family again. 
And any of you that have had an eight or nine-year-old, that sounds like an eight or nine-year-old. And of course, Kevin's mom seems to have a turn of heart, too. She, in the midst of her youngest son being bullied and being in all sorts of terrible positions, makes what is a typical parental move, which is to actually remove the one who's having the most trouble, right? Causing the most difficulties, yes, but also seems to be struggling the most, and banishes him upstairs, saying, I don't want to see you again for the rest of the night. If only she knew what the consequences of that were going to be later, later, and really does make a statement, even if it's temporary, of banishment of her child. And listen, here's the thing. Even the side characters have stories of changes of heart. Old man Marley, where we start at the beginning, who's you know, apparently supposed to be the South Bend shovel slayer, the fear of every teenager and young child's heart, the neighborhood single widower who, for all intents and purposes, seems like an okay guy at first, but not according to those kids. If you remember the pivotal scene in the church right before all the major antics happen, old man Marley and Kevin are sitting in the church. And as they're having conversations about families and who they miss, old man Marley admits that he does not have the greatest relationship with his family. And Kevin innocently, as an eight-year-old might ask, is like, well, why haven't you talked to your kids? You know, and on top of that, to talk about meta change of heart, right? Not only does old man Marley have change of heart, but now Kevin has a, another change of heart about old man Marley. Maybe this dude isn't as scary as we think he is. And in the end, if you remember, again, Sarley, spoiler alert, seems to be old man Marley, the one who was to be feared, actually ends up saving Kevin's life. In fact, by the end of this movie, if you really watch it, with the intention of seeing how there are changes of heart, the only characters that don't have a change of heart are the wet bandits themselves. Marv's continued insistence, for whatever reason, of leaving their mark by leaving the sink open, flooding every single house, as the Chicago police say in the end, will make it incredibly easy to find out which homes the wet bandits have hit. And in the end, on top of that, the only ones who actually lack a happy ending at the end of Home Alone are the ones who didn't have the change of heart. It's a classic late 80s, early 90s ending to what seems every sitcom and every movie, right? All the pieces are tied up in a bow. Families are reunited. Kevin, at the end of the movie, moves his way through his, what seems like, 10,000-square-foot mansion over to the side window and sees old man Marley embracing his granddaughter. Clear indication that there must have been some communication, again, in a very short period of time, apparently, Now, we could see this movie existing without these moments, right? I mean, who doesn't love a little bit of slapstick?
But in the midst of all the ridiculousness, I think what keeps it evergreen, what keeps us coming back year after year, is that we get to witness the fruits of this heart change and that it is real. And we love to anticipate and hope for reunions and for justice. In the end, everything is as it should be. And we have labored to see it. Now listen, admittedly, and we don't seem to talk about this too much when we read the Bible, but we also have a little bit of an event of willful suspension of belief in our story today. This is the first time we meet John the Baptist and we see him as this wild character who is apparently eating locusts and wild honey, is wearing horse hair or whatever he's wearing. He's hanging out in the wilderness. This was a sect of Judaism that tended to do this, but honestly, and I have this question in reflection, like if you saw John the Baptist for the first time, would you say to yourself, do you know what I need to do? I need to listen to him and go down in the River Jordan and get myself baptized by him? I mean, God bless you if that's your first instinct, but I would be like, this man should not be out in the wilderness. But yet, in spite of his appearance, he is apparently deeply influential. And he calls out the people around him, even. He's not exactly the most friendly to the people who are stopping by, especially the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those who like to keep the rules, those who like... To presume that they're doing all the right things, they're likely going through the motions. Baptism was part of the Jewish tradition. It was part of repentance. It was a part of a chance to be cleansed of one's sins. And so they're just going to do what is normal to them. John says, you brood of vipers. Who told you? And then he says, and this has stuck with me more than I've heard this passage ad nauseum, right? But I could not get away from the simple thing he says to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Now, the phrasing of this in the original text is really unique. These words aren't used really anywhere else. And there's another way to say this, bear fruit of repentance. Another way of saying it is demonstrate to me and to the people and to God and to Jesus Christ the promise of change. Demonstrate the promise of change. So whether it's home alone or whether it's Advent, there's something to this that we might miss because we have a tendency to sequester repentance to just sin We're not very interested in spending a lot of time having to reflect on sin. Even when I look at the title over there and I see finding hope within repentance, that feels odd to me. I want to find hope in happy things. I want to find hope in things that seem to make sense. I want to find hope in the fact that I made fun of the Jaguars last week and they won. Yeah, yeah. So I want to find hope in the Jags losing again. But you know, this is so familiar to us, isn't it? When we understand things one way, they tend to go one direction, don't they? But when 
we give ourselves the opportunity to have a change of heart, which is really all that repentance is, metanoia. We've talked about this word multiple times. It's a word that means recognizing things maybe aren't the direction you want to go and then having a change of heart that might lead you in a different direction. And that singular moment of repentance, of change of heart, there is a built-in momentum that keeps us going and moving and growing, perhaps allowing us to go where our hearts desire and crave to be. We don't always watch this is a wonderful life to watch the decline, do we? We watch it's a wonderful life to see the resolution. We don't always watch Home Alone to see Macaulay Culkin be Macaulay Culkin. We watch Home Alone to see the family reunited. Just happens to be the fun along the way is worthwhile. And I wonder why, if that might be why John is so insistent to these brood of vipers to wake them up and to shake them out of their routine. Because perhaps the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the world might, in their determined consistency, lose out on something that is better, that is in-breaking. If all I ever do is go through the motions, I miss out on what God is doing all around me, and I might wonder if there's anything to see at all. And of course, the Pharisees and the Sadducees have all the reason to not pay attention. They are the most secure. They are the most well-tested. They are the most educated. They got a lot going for them. They have Abraham as their ancestor. You know, the one who has promised a people as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands on the beach, they were the ones who had it all together. Not unlike the McAllister family, right? But you know, if they can't see the opportunity to show the promise of change, well, they just end up like the worst possible version of Home Alone. Kevin continuously angered by his family, locked up in the attic in perpetuity. His family then blaming him for their canceled trip. Old man Marley saying to himself, you know what? What does an eight-year-old know anyway? And another year, he continues to be alone and feared by the neighborhood. But here's the question for us in Advent. Where's the hope for something better? Isn't that like the promise of Advent itself? Like, I don't mean to sound too crazy, but I feel like these four weeks of anticipation are all about hoping for something better. Christ's child coming, that's one, but also the reminder that Christ is coming again. We'll say that once again at the communion table today. So the question, dear brothers and sisters, So what is it for you today? What is it for you right now? Maybe there's that relationship that you just are convinced 
is never going to get any better. And you might have a lot of very healthy reasons for that to be. You also may have a lot of unhealthy reasons for that to be. Maybe now's a moment just to ask yourself, what if I had a little bit of home alone in my life right now? Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your opinion of our society, your neighbor, you know, the one that put those signs in their yard. Maybe it's the church. Maybe you've heard too many times, one too many times, well, this is always the way we've done it, so how are we going to change? I get it. But the truth is, every time I watch Home Alone, you know what happens? Kevin always wins. Every time I watch Home Alone, the family gets back together. Every time I watch Home Alone, old man Marley embraces his granddaughter. And as I get older, that moment sits with me longer. Because I too am caught with wounds that lead me to believe those resolutions will never occur. So ask yourself this week, dear friends, as we continue to prepare for the one who is coming and will come again. Where is a time for a change of heart? Thanks be to God.